0: Welcome to CT Startup, bringing you an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the great state of Connecticut. This is one of your co-hosts, Dave Menard from Martha Carolina.
1: This is Eric Francis from Fresh Farm Alcabonics.
2: Michael Kaufman from Moby Interactive.
0: And we're here today doing a co-host podcast, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, where you've been changing our schedule, where we're going to do every three to four episodes will be an interview, and then the third, fourth or fifth episode will be a uh, co-host podcast, where we'll kind of do a roundtable discussion of all things that we talk about, uh, as we did earlier in the uh, podcast series. So I think today's first one, uh, first topic that I wanted to bring up was Michael Kaufman,
1: oh man (laughs) great we got to hear him talk yeah sorry
0: about that guys (laughs) well first of all we should all give mike a break because he has a he has a migraine today i do have a migraine that is true um but let's uh let's let's abuse you anyway because that's one of our favorite past talks yeah sure
2: sure i'm used to it at this point
0: so, Mike, you've had a really interesting time re- raising money for a Movie Interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, I know at times you've been uh, depressed and been high, uh, <laughs> not <which> legally. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for making that clear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. But you've been making a lot of effort, a lot of ground in southern
2: Connecticut and in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us about it. Yeah, I think... So... Let me kick off by saying this is my first time aggressively fundraising. My first startup, the money came to me. I had an investor reach out to me. Um, so my first time actually fundraising was a lot easier and it was very straightforward and it was basically turnkey where I just sent a business plan and it was done. Uh, so this is my first time that, you know, I I, I launched an MVP, uh, proved out the concept, and then it was about, you know, raising the dollars in order to take that MVP to the next level with a version two. Um, and there's... Naturally, with any startup, there's no clear cut path, and there's a lot of noise. And the, I mean, anytime you get someone's opinion, you're going to get a lot of a lot of <laughs> a yeah. lot of different feedback, <laughs> right? So it's about you know really listening to to anyone that you think could have real value, and then boiling it down and trying to make the best decision possible uh, at hand. And I think a lot of the time was t- maybe taking in too many opinions at first, and in terms of like how much to raise. So yeah. you know I've heard everything from. 250,000 to 2 million. And, you know, it's sure. Each one sounds great, but which is the best move for me and my company at this point in time? Uh, because you know, at $2 million, you know, how much equity am I going to have to give away? Sure. It may be fantastic. I may be able to do a million times more. Um, I can create a million times more apps, but it's just, it doesn't make sense. So right now we settled at, uh, $300,000, uh, and that's going to give us a runway of about 14 months. And what we're going to use that for is to, to build version two of fitness face off prove that we're the team, uh, to get it done. Um, and that people really do want something like this and there's, there's real value. Um, and then at that point, go back to the well and raise significantly more funds in order to take it to the next level. So fundraising, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've really exhausted in Connecticut. Obviously we're all adamant about startups in, in Connecticut, but the private sector, There's not much activity from an investment standpoint in Connecticut. Uh, and we're not at a VC stage. You know, we're, we're, we're an angel round. Um, and there's not too many angels in Connecticut and they're not as, they're not as inclined in taking big risk as someone in uh, an investor in New York, Boston, Austin, San Francisco, uh, Silicon Valley, obviously. Um, so it was really about getting that, that, that footing in New York City. Mm-hmm. And that was, has been the toughest part. But now that I'm starting to establish those connections, it's, it's much easier. So,
1: so, so what do you mean by they're not willing to take the risk? Cause obviously, uh, for an angel, like there's, there's risk in every investment that you mm-hmm. do, right? I mean, obviously you try to protect your downside and everything, but it, I mean, it are you like you mentioned the Austins, the Bostons, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Silicon Valleys and, and New York. Is it? I mean, everybody talks about the tech bubble, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just money flowing. I yeah. mean, there's just money in all these different places, and and everybody wants to become a, a venture capitalist or an angel <laughs> investor. So, is it just that you know there's so many other opportunities in these environments, so it's just easier to tap the money? Is it, is it that kind of thing? I think what?
2: yes, and it's from a cultural standpoint. Like you know, Boston, all these all these places have a a, a focal point on innovation, mm-hmm. and that that innovation bubble I don't like to use that term but is is much broader than in Connecticut and what I meant like in terms of taking risk the average angel investment round is significantly smaller in Connecticut than it is in somewhere like New York for example so it, we might be able to raise you know 150,000 in Connecticut but 300,000 is 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 not out of the um are we getting some feedback right now just a little bit yeah. Excellent. Uh, so it's much easier to get the the money in New York and the struggle has been just getting that grounding, Mm -hmm. um, and getting those connections because listen, you're not going to get many, uh, callbacks if you just cold call an angel investor or, a or a (laughs) a VC, you know what I mean? Because they, they have emails coming in every single day that, you know, this entrepreneur has the best thing since Mm -hmm. sliced bread. Um, so it's really about getting those connections and and getting the introductions through someone uh, a, a mutual connection. So it's the networking. It's, it, the, it's, 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 it's just it's straight out of absolute networking. networking grind, and that's the biggest that's the biggest piece of the puzzle. And in in my opinion, it's the hardest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I've done that, the connections are opening up yeah. left and right.
1: So how many how many uh, meetings? So so you've been fundraising for how many months?
2: I realized in April that I needed to raise money. Um, at, at yeah, I'd say April, but. I didn't really kick things off, I would say, until like July.
1: Okay. So that's when you had the pitch deck done. You yeah. kind of made like the first initial kind of go-arounds of Sp- talking to people. Yep.
2: Yeah. And speaking of pitch decks, you've seen how many have I brought <laughs> yeah. to this table, yeah. man. And yeah. we just yeah. we I think we finally I, I say this every time, but I think we finally uh, landed on one that's really solid and we've taken the branding from fitness face off and and meshed it into the 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 deck itself. But you know, it, it's it's something that's constantly, like a business plan, it's constantly evolving. And mm-hmm. you, you constantly have to, you know, you, you have to you have to tend to it.
1: So how many, how, Like just to give a, everybody an idea, so, so you've been fundraising from June, you said, or July? I'd say July. July, okay. So, and then
2: in those few months, uh, July, August, September was like, really in Connecticut. Yeah. And just past, you know, two months, if that has been.
1: So, so like how many meetings did you make in Connecticut? Like how many people did you talk to for Connecticut and then versus, you know, New York and... and
2: Maybe thirty connections in Connecticut, yeah. um, and then New York. I mean, you could do so much in a New York day than you can do in oh, you yeah. know a, mm-hmm. a month in Connecticut. So you know, I was down there. I'm down there about four to five times, eh, four days a week on average, yeah. and it's just constantly a networking event to a pitch to a networking event. Occasionally, I'll like eat something and maybe sleep every <laughs> few days. But yeah, it's just it's it, it, it's it's a constant. And the networking events. I just attended uh, the Blueprint Health um, demo day, which was fantastic because it's all, uh, VCs, angels, private sector investors that are active and adamant about, you know, health and wellness and technology. So that was a fantastic one.
1: Yeah. So we're just talking about how you hit the traffic despair. <laughs> no, yeah.
2: Yeah. No. And, and, and it's, it's, it's totally, um, and that's okay you know if you if you look at or, or or read anything about entrepreneurs or the the founders actually fundraising it is a tough emotional battle to say the least and mm-hmm. You know, everyone talks and everything like that and they, oh yeah, I want to invest and you you know, with any startup, you, you, it's, it's a roller coaster of emotion. You are up and then you come crashing down Mm -hmm. right away. But then guess what? The next day, something presents itself and it's a holy crap moment. This is great. This is what I've been looking for. So you just need to, you just need to take a seat, buckle in and and go for the ride. So
0: I'm not trying to get you depressed by asking this question, but honestly, the, The most impressive entrepreneurs I've ever worked with, um, are persistent people. I mean, they don't give up. Mm -hmm. And and they fight through each, uh, you know, each piece of adversity that comes their way. As a matter of fact, I, I spent Friday afternoon at a meeting with, uh, with a client, uh, who's an entrepreneur. And it was with their board directors trying to, trying to overcome a completely unexpected problem that would have delayed the launch of their product by 12 to 18 months. Um, and, you know, he at no time suggested that that was going to happen. He talked about different ideas and, and mm-hmm. he worked with board directors on different ideas, but he just refused to let it enter in his mind that that was, that that was going to be an issue. Um. Where did you hit the line? Where, where's the line between persistence and dedication and knowing it's going to work and hitting the point where,
2: you frankly, you should be spending your time doing something different? I mean, you have to be an optimistic realist, right? <laughs> and it's, it's, I mean, it, it's tough. I, I think it's, it's an instinctual thing. You know, you know, like with my past startup, I knew when it was over. <laughs> and, you know, you don't want to admit that, mm-hmm. but, and it sucks. But at the end of the day, you know, and- I think a lot of founders, uh, don't know when it is time and, uh, that can, that could be detrimental and they've could waste years. Um, but it's, it's just about just being able to take a step back and really look at it. And, and from, you know, a, a non judgmental point mm-hmm. of
1: view. So I guess I, this kind of piggybacks on that question, but so you're raising money, right? You're raising money to push the product to, you know, 2.0, right? Mm-hmm is there a limit where you say, well, okay, after eight months of fundraising, if we can't do it, we have this plan to get the money to make it happen. Like, yeah. is there, is there a point where you just say, you know, we can't get fundraising, so we're going to find another way to or self fund it or do whatever. I mean, obviously this may be a detrimental you know, answer to the people that are looking to, to fund no, it. No, no, no. Like,
2: and I'm all about, you know, um, you know, being crystal clear. So I think it's really good because it's like, you know, how do you bring revenue in when you don't really have a, a a version one, or mm-hmm. I should say version two. So what I've been doing is I just pitched at a, an event called uh, the Ogilvy uh, marketing event. And we got second place, which was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were the only, I believe the only non-venture backed startup. So that was that was great to see. And uh, in the crowd was, you know, big pharma for the most part. And now I've been in talks with, you know, some of these, some of these companies about ways that we could take the same Game mechanics of fitness face off mm-hmm. and, and, and movie and apply them to their own custom apps. Um, so we just kicked off these conversations and they've been going great. So the idea is, hey, maybe we can design them some custom apps, uh, using the same game mechanics targeted towards whatever audience they may want mm-hmm. and bring in some revenue mm-hmm. to pump right into development. Um, and that would be, that would be ideal.
1: Okay. So if you did find a client that was willing to white label or do something with the, yep. with the technology, you would.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, and I've said this, you know, a couple of times on this podcast is there is no clear path and you have to constantly mm-hmm. be adapting or pivoting to some degree, but you have to look at every opportunity to present itself and say, you know, is this, is this the right mm-hmm. move? And that would be fantastic. You know, if we can get, I'm just throwing these numbers out there, 50, a hundred thousand dollars to develop a custom app and do a, 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 you know, a trial for one of these companies, you know, we could put that money right into development in version yeah. one in no time. Uh, and we've gotten development down from, uh, almost a year down to six months and now only two months. So we're going nice. to be able to, once this money comes in 60 days, we'll be beta testing. And, uh, you know, two weeks after that, we'll, we'll launch the
1: first version. Very cool. So people can get fitness face off in the app store, right? Yeah. Like they, yeah. They so they it's,
2: it's, it, it's, it's, it's was closed beta for a long time. Now it's open beta and you know, I'd be happy, you know, for our users out there, download fitness face off and, and let us know what you think. It's, it's, uh, a, a, it's basically a very, the, the, it was just to test the waters, like any MVP. Um, and we've seen some fantastic results. We've gotten like you know five thousand downloads, and the feedback's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And we're vocal with our users that hey, listen, this is version one. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Yeah, we want to make this better. And uh, I think that's been that's been crucial because you know I'm engaged with these these users constantly on a daily basis. That's um, great. Nice. But I will say, the issue with fundraising. Isn't so much. Yeah. Okay. It sucks. It The time wise, and it really takes you away from product. That's the biggest issue. I haven't looked at fitness face off from a, a, a product standpoint in months. Uh, luckily, I have an awesome team that's able to do that while I'm out grinding on the fundraise path. But, you know, it really does take you away from the design and the customers and those interactions. Well, this goes back to a message that, that we've been
0: harping on here, which is that when you're first starting up a company, your goal isn't to get money. Your mm-hmm. goal is to understand your customer and build revenues. Yep. And when you get to the point where you either have revenues or you have a customer focused product that customers want,
2: then you can go look at money. Mm-hmm. But raising money is a full-time job. Absolutely, it really is. Um, and you know that's that's what everyone says, and uh, I can I can validate that it is absolutely a full-time job. Um, and like any like any entrepreneur, I mean, you don't have a day off, right? So like, what was yesterday Sunday? I'm shooting emails while watching football all day yesterday. Um, don't get me wrong, that and doesn't that's, suck. And that's, no, that doesn't suck at <laughs> but all. But it's it's it's, it's a thing constant thing. fight, and you're constantly um reaching out and networking and and that's the that's the fundraise grind baby
1: i will have to say is that one thing that when it comes to entrepreneurs and and you can definitely echo this is that there's not not a nine to five so Mm -hmm. it's like with especially you know one thing that i have with my friends are like oh you're gonna be working on saturday or sunday or this or that and it's like yeah like that's when i allotted the time to do that activity yeah (laughs) it's like that's (laughs) that's what i did you know like that was when i was you know have it open to do i mean last night I was going through my scrum board and doing all the things and getting everything ready until 1130 last night. So, but, and it's like, that was the time that I
2: allotted for it. And so. it's the thing is it, it doesn't feel like work to me no. because I really do enjoy what I do. And I'm, I'm passionate about the, the company that I'm starting. And I, every day I enjoy the, you know, the struggle um, because I know I'm getting closer and closer. Well, it's it's an interesting thought. in In the legal world, there's always there's always
0: a long time at a concern with work life balance. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people work very hard, and same times there's a high divorce rate in the legal profession, and frankly, a little bit too high of a suicide rate. I'm talking about the dark side <laughs> of the legal <laughs> profession, but and and so
2: depressing. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring it down here, folks. Uh,
0: uh, but so. The thing is, is that so there's always a thought. Well, I want to try to find a, a, what they call like a lifestyle firm, or I want to find a place where you know I only work till six or something like that, which is frankly impossible in most areas of law, right? You you just have you have a lot of clients and, and mm-hmm. you know they they need attention at different hours of the day, and you got to be responsive. Um, what I think is interesting is that in the entrepreneurial world, there's 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 less of the work life balance and really making it just life right yeah. the the work the work implement the yeah. work implements its way through life and you sort of incorporate both and sometimes you're in working hours sometimes you're in life hours but they're not necessarily separate from one another
2: yeah i mean i could say eric when was the last time you went on vacation and actually didn't do work like well, email yeah, I mean, whatever yeah. it may yeah. be and, and, and
1: it's actually kind of interesting well that's the thing is like my, <laughs> my girlfriend and i have this kind of like back and forth is that i went down to florida for my you know for a wedding and i mean i can get I can interact with my entire team on my phone. Slack, Mm -hmm. it goes up there. I can look at documents. So it's like for me to look over and be, you know, I'm at the bar and I do it. Okay. Respond to a couple of things and it's good. And she's like, get off your phone. But it's like, (laughs) but I'm, that's like part of the, the thing and part of the work. But I mean, when it comes to the whole work life balance, um, you're right. It's not, I don't consider it work. It's just getting it done. Like there's the goal. You just have to go for it. I mean, I will have to say is that for vacation. It's hard for me to take a vacation where I could just let everything go. Um, because it's like I would have to get to a point where I did so much where I felt content that I, it's, it's like I, I felt content that I got all my work done so I can just relax for five days or whatever. It doesn't exist And, in and my for me, world. for me, I would rather say, okay. Every morning for two hours, let me just bang out some stuff so I feel semi productive that day and then I can go out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my
0: my nightmare vacation is probably one in which there's no electronic communication. mm -hmm. Like there's just like there's no signal available. Which in some ways that sounds amazing, but I mean it it, does but it it does sound great. But (laughs) at the same time, like I can't imagine not being in touch because I was just on vacation yeah. last month and I was emailing all the time um, and I had my laptop with me and such and but I just and that was after I had spent a few weeks before the vacation trying to make it so that I would have to have as little contact as possible. Mm-hmm. And I still needed to be there mm-hmm. to handhold clients and, and attorneys who had filled in for me and help them out and give them information that I knew. It was just the, much, of, uh, much of what I do and I think much of what you guys do is too focused around what we know in our heads to be out of contact yeah Yeah, absolutely
1: yeah and it's it's kind of interesting too is that we got all these bigger companies that are doing like the you know unlimited vacation i mean i know some people that work at hubspot or virgin or something like that that they have unlimited vacation and you know you you hear some i've talked to my father about this is that you know it's like one of those things where oh yeah you have unlimited vacation but then people don't take the vacation because you know the kind of a thing but at the same time if you look at the stats people still aren't taking their vacation and it's not unlimited. It's like they only have three <laughs> weeks of vacation. They're still not taking it. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I don't think vacation is like, it's It's almost not like the, I don't like to live, like it's not the right word. It's just like, oh, we're going to go do something. But during, you know, like, you know, like it's, it's not a vacation because some of the times I don't, you know, if I go snowboarding or whatever for three days, it's not a vacation to me. It's just, I'm going to do that. And
2: you're going to work somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, exactly, I'm going, I'm going,
1: I'm still working that day, but I'm, right. I have an activity in the afternoon, yep.
0: Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's, but I do find myself having what I consider appalling thoughts, right? Because I always thought of myself as, as sort of person who appreciates nature and, and history and, and, you know, really loving to go explore places and see things and such. And and yet, I could go to some place like America's Stonehenge up in New Hampshire, which is essentially a... a, uh, Sort of, sort of like traditional Stonehenge. They have, it was made by a civilization, an ancient civilization here in the United States that, uh, put up like a Stonehenge circle and it would track yeah. the months of the year the, and the seasons. The ancient aliens, yep. and, yeah. the ancient aliens. <laughs> there you go. And, uh. <laughs> what but, a good segue that could be for another <laughs> yeah. topic. But, but I uh, think, you know, when I, I like be up there, but I'd be thinking, wow, how did these people survive? They have an awful signal up here. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. It just wouldn't work. No, it's like it's
1: like that. That Joe Rogan has a skit. It's like uh, you know, like uh, civilization goes to shit. It's like how long does it take for somebody to go into the woods and come out with like a cell phone? Yeah, you know, no, like I know. how long does it take for that that connection to make? It's like, <laughs> you know, there's some there's some guy that could do that, but not me.
0: Yeah, that's the problem. There's probably too few of those people. <laughs> we, we need to preserve them. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, the other thing I wanted to move on to um, were just a couple of events that are coming up, yeah. the, the, of which uh, we're all going to be a part of in one way or another. The first one is this Thursday, October 29th. It is the Reset Impact Awards. Uh, it is a set of awards focusing on social enterprise and uh, companies that have an impact on society one way or another. And uh, this year, they're they're doing a few other events. They have great guest speakers. And, uh, I know I'll be there. Uh, my firm's a sponsor of Reset and we're big fans of what they do. In, mm-hmm. And Eric, I think, uh, Fresh Farm's going to be there.
1: Yeah, Fresh Farm. So we're in, um, the finals of the social impact award. So that was out of 12 companies, I believe. Um, so I would say go up and, and vote for us online for the, for the, um, you know, people's choice words, but they, they closed that off, uh, <laughs> they closed that off a couple weeks ago. Um, and it would be nice because every award we've been in, we've gotten people's choice. So it'd be, we want to keep that going. Um, but yeah, it should be good. We have a lot of, a lot of good companies and it was the social impact award, I believe this year was open to all of New England. So there's, um, I believe there's a company from each of the New England states. So
0: that's great. Uh, now you see they're going to have a panel, uh, about social innovation yep. and how that's transforming industries. Uh, Connecticut Public Radio host, uh, John Dinkowski is, uh, gonna be the host of the panel. We include, uh, Gene Hammond, co-founder and partner of a Learn Launch, uh, Michaela Kingsley, director of Wesleyan's uh, Petrilli Center for Social Entrepreneurship, and uh, Kirk Savage, uh, co-founder of a tech startup named Send Help Back Home, yeah. one that uh, I'm very familiar with and who we hope to have as a guest on the yeah.
1: podcast. Yeah, he, they they actually won uh, $10,000 at the last EIA Awards, too.
0: And uh, as well as uh, Reset's Flight Night, which is a yeah. uh, three, three to four times a year pitch night uh, that's open to the public. And anybody who wants to just go in and pitch uh, can go in the last moment. And Kirk won uh, the favorite that night. Really? I thought that was next week. Uh, no, no, that was the last one that, the, that we did in uh, 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 June. Oh, okay, that one. Because yeah, they have another
1: one coming up, right? In yeah, like two it, weeks or something like that? It's like December 2nd or okay, so. Or No, no, right.
0: November, I don't know, late November. Yeah, yeah. We'll announce it on the podcast. Because <laughs> Yeah, because they,
1: they push it off a couple of times. <clears throat>
0: right, yeah. The uh, the other event that's coming up is November 10th, and that's the Innovation Summit uh, put on by the Connecticut Technology Council. And that is an all-day event November 10th at the Hartford uh, Hartford Convention Center. And that is going to be a big event. They've got over 130 companies attending. Uh, they have pitches, they have contests. There's uh, you know, one company will come out as an award winner. Uh, well, there'll be a oh, few really? award winners, but somebody comes out as sort of the company to uh, to oh, watch. I didn't, I didn't know that there was a- um, yep. There's a... Uh, sweet. <laughs> they have the okay. So here, here we go. They have uh. High growth companies in Connecticut that are honored for their remarkable potential. Uh they have workshops as well. And what I th- find most uh, fascinating about it is that we're gonna be there. We are. Um in a couple <coughs> capacities. I know Fresh Farm Archoponics and Movie Interactive will both be presenting. Nice. Uh or, or both have tables there. Um Murtha Kalina will also have a table there as a sponsor of the event and a uh you know, obviously a law firm interest in entrepreneurship. And then most importantly, Connecticut startup will be there. We will be. We'll have a table in the main room. We're going to be doing at least four interviews throughout the day. Uh, please come up, stop by and say hi to us. We'll, you'll see a big table banner and we'll be doing, uh, interviews with companies that are there and we'll post those over a couple of weeks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was just saying, maybe we can get on, you know, maybe we, if we if were uh, tech savvy enough, we can maybe do it live at some point, but I don't know. I don't know if that would happen, but. Maybe next year. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't want to put Dave live. <laughs> yeah, we have to that edit could you be, out. I know.
0: That could be yeah, I mean, you know how much editing we do of these things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Too much pressure to be live.
0: But still, that, that would be very cool. We could, uh, we could, we could think about trying to uh, Periscope it. Yeah, yeah. No, it. we
1: can definitely do that. Yeah.
0: So, cool. so it'll be a great event for all of us, and for any of you who are interested in perhaps being on the podcast or want to talk to us about anything, you're more than welcome to come up to us.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we can get people to just do like a 60-second pitch or something. Oh, that, sure. That'd be good. Do a little shout-out. We'll, we'll
0: have time. I have no, there's no reason why we can't do stuff between interviews. If oh, somebody yeah. wants to go on and do a quick interview or something, mm-hmm. we'll post it. Right. And depending on what you say.
1: Yeah. Actually, if we can get them in an elevator, we can literally do an elevator pitch. Set up the just, podcast in yeah, the no, elevator. Just, we, we, hey, we got we got the recorder. We'll just be like, listen, let's step in the booth. We'll go We're to the top up. floor, and then we'll, we'll just, go right back
2: down. Just,
0: <laughs> Shove a mic in their face? <laughs> Why not? Why not? With people in there. So and, people and I don't are... and I don't mean mic. We won't <laughs> shove mic in their face. We'll shove a mic in their face. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sort of on to tech topics. All right, things that have been pretty interesting. Microsoft just had announced and is is now selling their f- first laptop ever, the Microsoft Surface Book, including update to. Uh, uh, they also their tap their lablet lablet their t- tablet laptop not a bad conversion term. a lablet. Um, uh, the Surface Pro, Surface Pro (laughs) 4. So there's a Surface Book, which is the laptop and the tablet laptop combination, which is the, uh, Surface Pro 4. And I use a Surface Pro 3. So I was very excited about this. Uh, I don't know if the Pro 4 has enough upgrades in it to make me want to buy a new one. But at the same time, uh, I think another generation I probably will.
2: You wouldn't make the switch to a Surface Book?
0: One of the things I really like about the Surface Pro is it basically combines everything I need in a laptop mm-hmm. um, with the weight and easy transfer- transportability of a tablet. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love just having the flip-down keyboard, the type cover that they have. Um, it boots up like a tablet, so there's really no waiting time. Uh, and it runs a full version of Windows 10 and Windows Office. So not necessarily great for gaming, though I will tell you in my Surface Pro 3, I have a Core i7. And uh, you know a 500 uh, gig SSD drive, so it's you know I mean it actually moves pretty quickly. How, how much are the, the
2: books coming out? I think 1400? Yeah, to start with. Yeah.
0: And the Surface Pro Four is going to start around nine hundred, not including a keyboard. Which you have to get the keyboard. Yeah, the keyboard is one to. of the best things. Yeah. Uh but that's like another hundred and thirty bucks. Yeah, I feel like I mean I I
1: have the surface and I have the iPad and I mean they're <laughs> I probably have like the <laughs> iPad two, which is <laughs> you know, it's so so long ago. And I mean Mike I mean, I use my computer enough, but I would I'd would probably go to one of those. I mean, because I've always been a PC person. I really haven't even gotten into the Macs or anything.
2: Well,
0: what's interesting for me is that, you know, our workplace runs on a Windows yeah. enterprise. And so it makes it a lot easier for me to connect. Like, I have trouble connecting uh, via Citrix to my workplace on an Apple machine. But okay. I do very well. It connects sm- very smoothly on my Surface. So, Mike, you were interested in Surface Book.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan because constantly I'm on the road. I'm, I'm, I'm really on the run constantly. And uh, I'm always torn between, do I bring my laptop or do I bring my yeah. iPad? And I have to make that decision every single time. Um, and when you bring the iPad, you lose the ability to do a lot of work. Um, you just can't, you can't be as productive. Uh, but it's also disconnecting when you go to a pitch and you take out a laptop and you open it up. It's not as Humanizing as a tablet, which you could just flip open. That's a fascinating way to put it. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's what I've realized as well, because you have to open up the computer. It's, 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 it's in the way. You know, when I'm, uh, when I have client
0: meetings and interviews, I actually use a composition notebook. Mm. It's, been, I, I, it's just the way my mentor did it. I've done it for years and I have them all dated. I have every composition notebook I've ever used <laughs> and, and it's, and, and it's dated by date. So I can go back and say, Oh, what, you know, what was I doing in June of 2009 and go back? Yeah. Um, what I find interesting though is it's much more humanizing to use that, right? I would feel uncomfortable pulling out my surface and starting typing notes during yep. a meeting.
1: Yeah. No, I definitely, I mean, I, I have a notepad and pen. Cause I, I, like to I usually too, do and, and like draw arrows and all that kind of stuff. I usually just
2: steal paper from Dave when we do the podcast though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was when you when you're an entrepreneur you got to you got to steal what you can. That's right. That's true. You think Happiness Lab has any free toilet paper I could take? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> uh
2: but yeah, absolutely. I think I think this is the first time I'm truly excited about Microsoft and I'm obviously not the only one the stock went up like I think 12% almost in a couple of days wow. and it's it's up, you know, uh almost two points today.
0: I think we'll, I wonder if we'll change as a society though. I think at some point you probably pull out a laptop in front of somebody and they won't get
2: offended or, uh, it'll probably be, uh, as, as you put it, a lablet, (laughs)
0: Lablet. you know, I think, I think the future
2: is what the surface book is. You know, it's, it's the combination of, uh, functionality with, with the ability to take it. You know, you're, you're, if, if, Our listeners don't know what the Surface Book is. It's really a laptop that you could pop off the top. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been done before, but this is the first one that I think combines the power. I mean, this thing's as good as a MacBook Pro, uh, which is pretty incredible. Well, CNET, which is
0: one of my favorite websites to read stuff on, they actually had the artist who, does, who the original artist who does Archie comics mm. uh, draw some Archie comics on That's the so Surface Book, cool. really? and he he said that he was really impressed by how you know the finesse he could get with
2: the with the pen and the way it worked. Yeah, now there's the 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 iPad Pro from Microsoft, and they have the the Apple Pencil. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is really interesting, but it's pretty incredible that this thing—you know—some of the art that, that that people can create on this, um, is is unbelievable.
1: Oh, I bet. I mean, I have my my tattoo artist. He takes everything, puts it on a computer, and draws it on the yeah. computer, and then you know does everything off there. So, I mean, you can get pretty
0: intricate on a mm-hmm. computer. Now I know we're going to get the question of where the tattoos are, but we won't go there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually, my leg's still hurting
1: from last week. You got another? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Now I can Now I have to. It's gonna be. I can make an another appointment next October. So, so he's is, booked out. So to me, think about this. Like as a, and this this goes back to like startup companies. Because I was thinking about it. While I was in the chair. Is that he his his shop is about two two years old. Uh, owner, you know, owner artist. He has a gallery. Um, so he does an art gallery as well as you know the, the tattooing. But he is um he tattoos six days a week and is booked out for an entire year. That's incredible. And so he does one huh. tattoo a day. And so that's anywhere um you know he's. 125 to 150 an hour so you know if you're in most in most of his pieces i mean my i only got like three hours done this week because struggling entrepreneur you don't you know <laughs> priorities with the money but uh but um i mean his he does big pieces so i mean you're probably doing five to eight hours you know per day oh, so that's Again, so it's booked it, out for a year.
2: If the <laughs> podcast is still around next year, which it will be, yeah. uh, will you do a CT startup tattoo?
1: Nah, maybe we'll say.
0: <laughs> we should at least post a picture <laughs> of the finished tattoo. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take a while. Which makes me wonder. So you're going to have a half finished tattoo for over for a year. Well, no,
1: so mine not necessarily. So I started a year and a half ago. It's on my leg. So it's going to be basically my upper right thigh is going to be completely done. And so that, I mean, the first, the, I got about six hours done the first time and then another three hours. So, I mean, it's going to probably take another 20 to 25 hours. Wow. At least to, to finish that one.
2: Wow. Yeah. So hopefully, it's going to, it's going to be, it's, it's gonna going to be, comfy un- it's
1: going to be unfinished for, I actually almost fell asleep because it was after the, my plane ride. So I was just like, oh, oh, shot. Yeah. I was just like, I, you <laughs> Good know, night. but, um, but no, that's no, but I'm saying like that as a business, as a lifestyle business, Now he has two other artists, like he's killing it. I mean, that,
0: that's. That's you. I mean, I if, wish only, I was if only out. I was artistic like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I mean. Yeah. Well, a little bit easier to. Uh, not. I'm not saying what he does is easy at all, but but a little bit easier to start up your own business, where you're the owner operator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It's not like a scalable business, it's one of those lifestyle businesses. Yeah. But I think that's
1: also you know when it comes to the startup industry again, people are thinking what well, you're doing, Mike. Right. You're doing an app that's going to scale that is eventually VC backable, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a lot of these kind of lifestyle businesses where you only have one or two or three employees, and all three all three of those people are living well, and you know you're not trying to scale. So. Absolutely.
0: So the next thing I want to hit was the CNET smart home. So uh, I know I mentioned CNET before, but one of the things that they've been doing, uh, and we mentioned smart home products quite a bit here in the podcast, uh, is that they decided to create a working laboratory for smart home products. They they designed a Basically like a house, you know, the first floor house, the garage and everything, and uh, and uh, connect all the lights using various types of uh, smart LED bulbs and then connectors. And uh, the last article that they did recently, and I think it's worth uh, for our listeners to check up on because it's an interesting series if you're interested in home automation, is uh, they were trying to figure out what's going to control the house. And so they ran through, uh, Alexa, which is put out by Amazon, which we've talked about here on the podcast before. Both Mike Kaufman and I have, uh, have, uh, Amazon Echoes, uh, at home. And they also use Siri and Cortana and the Google one, which I can, I think it's just called Google.
2: Yeah. Google, Google now.
0: Google now. So eventually they found that, uh, no existing product in this price range. And mind you, this excludes the really high end. Uh, home automation packages that, that are done, uh, you know, by companies like Savant Systems or Control for Crestron, things like that. Um, but this is things that you can buy at a Best Buy and put together for your own house. And nothing that they used was able to control all of the systems. Okay. Um, we're just not at that point yet, which is, which is good to know. It's interesting. They, they, so what they've done is used a combination of, uh, Amazon's Alexa and Siri. And so, yeah. Uh, I can't remember exactly which is controlled through which, but I think it was, uh, Alexa controls a lot of the, uh, audio and I think perhaps the garage, uh, and they use Siri for the lights. Huh. Uh, so, uh, and, and they're putting in more and testing more, uh, smart home gadgets, including, uh, You know, ovens and refrigerators that are all Wi-Fi connected. So I assume
1: that that's almost like a a new kind of opportunity. Then, so if there was one platform that can connect or and can be kind of the the, absolutely the glue to to all the other systems, because I I I would imagine that each one of those companies, I mean, I I know that you know Google's you know bought Nest and everything like that, so they're all acquiring these different companies to build their own platform, kind of so they're they're the dominant one. But there has to be integration from different.
0: Well, and that is an amazing opportunity. However, it is also a programming nightmare. Well, isn't that's, it? that's what I'm <laughs> is it like, But what is whoever
2: it? can get it done.
0: Well, that's right. Or if, or frankly, if you all their alternatives, to design a line of products that covers everything mm-hmm. and to become the number one person in the market doing it, which is where I think Google so, is okay,
1: going. So okay, so that oh, so you think Google will be able to work on all the other platforms? What? Or kind
2: of no, no Google yeah. will be the platform. Yeah, that's oh, what okay, I think. I, I that. think
0: that's what they're going for. I mean, once they acquired the Nest, they're building everything around it. Yep. Yeah. Um, now that, you know they got the Dropcam by Nest. Now when they acquired Dropcam, um, they're working. They've got the uh, smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors. And They're going after the things you have to have in your house. <laughs> yeah, and, and smart move. And then they just build the lights into Start their program. With the necessities. Yeah. Um, now, how they get into other consumer electronics? Again, your your smart ovens and your smart refrigerators and so on, where you can where you can monitor this stuff from a distance and you know use it over your phone. I, I actually don't know what the operating software is for that. Uh, you know, like I know Samsung and LG both have like smart ovens, mm-hmm. um, but. Certainly Google is, is trying to make a play for that market. I mean, Apple is too. They've just released their home kit, but that's not, that's not really made a lot of progress yet. It's not thoroughly yeah. serious. So, so actually technically
1: it's Alphabet making the move, not Google, right? Yes. So that's, mm-hmm. so that's, uh, cause it's interesting. Like now it's Alphabet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: No, that's a, that's a great point. And so anyways, the CNET smart home is interesting. The, uh, the last thing that I personally, uh, wanted to bring up on our tech discussion. So let, let me introduce a few science concepts, right? To deal a little bit with science fiction and, and then we can go to the discussion. Right. <laughs> <Sorry>. So <clears throat> one of the famous concepts in science is Fermi's paradox. And this is the idea that is, tries to answer the question, well, why don't we see any other, uh, alien civilizations out there? Uh, so it was uh, Enrico Fermi, a scientist who basically addressed the contradiction that there should be a high probability of the existence of uh, extraterrestrial civilizations. Um, but we don't actually see any evidence of those civilizations. So then there's quite, you know, and then there's lots of theories beyond that as to, you know, I- assuming that there were other civilizations, what happened? Did they die off? Did they kill themselves off? Um, did they, you know, did they ascend to a higher plane? What, you know, mm-hmm. what happened? Um, and so one of the questions that, that scientists, especially, uh, you know, astronomers and such are always trying to answer is, well, why, You know, how do we find other alien civilizations? And were there any? And, and if there aren't, why aren't there any? And then you think of Enrico's, uh Fermi's paradox. Uh, I also want to introduce a concept introduced by Freeman Dyson called uh, the Dyson Sphere or Dyson Swarms. Not the Dyson why. Vacuums? Not the Dyson Vacuums. Different Dyson. Um... <laughs> The, uh, but no less smart. Um, so, so a Dyson sphere is the idea of harnessing the power of the sun by, or any star by building a civilization around it, literally encasing a sun in, in a sphere of, of material and then taking and absorbing all that power of the sun inside the sphere and civilizations inside the sphere and using all of that power to a maximum, uh, potential. This is uh Dyson's swarm is, is is the same concept, but instead of a sphere, it is a swarm of essential solar connector collectors mm-hmm. surrounding the swarm. And uh it would it it's obviously an extraordinary undertaking that, that is yeah, technologically impossible. It'd be hard, it'd be hard, to, it'd be hard yeah. to build that. Technologically yeah. impossible for us now. But all of these ideas fall under something called the Kardashev scale. This is the last concept. Okay. I mean, the Kardashev scale basically designates levels of civilization. Based on that civilization's ability to harness and use energy. We are what you'd call a type one civilization. We're at the bottom of the scale, which would be using the energy of one's own planet to maximum potential. Okay. Right? Uh, type two would be, would be like a Dyson sphere. It would be using, harnessing the potential of a star. Yep. Okay. And type three would be in possession of energy on the scale of a galaxy.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay. So, so we're, we're not even quite type one yet. Because we, yeah, I was about to say,
1: we haven't done it like the most efficient.
0: Yeah, we, we haven't, we haven't, <laughs> yeah. uh, maximized, you know, the, the energy that the earth can produce. Um, but type two is like a Dyson sphere and so on. So why do I introduce these things? The, the Kardashev scale, the Dyson spheres, uh, and the Fermi paradox. Well, all of these come into play in what it was a really interesting article recently about a discovery by the Kepler space telescope. Mm-hmm. So this Kepler Space Telescope is designed to help track exoplanets, and it looks for planets in uh, very faraway galaxies. And they, uh, the astronomers using the uh, Kepler Telescope in, in, in a series of confirmed sightings had found a planet or rather a designation um you know, the, these, are scientists and I don't fully understand what they're saying, but they, at least they, they have designations. So they found two interest, what they call transit events, which are events where the light from a star is reduced, mm-hmm. right? And trying to figure out why, what transited there. Um, and it was at a star called, or is an event called KIC 8462852. Um, and it was detected, uh, it had a, dr- it had a brightness drop off of, uh, 15% and then a brightness drop-off of 22%, right? So, So something was transiting through an area. And they were trying to figure out what it was. And there's a lot of different possibilities, an infinite number of possibilities. But one of the possibilities that was put out there, quite seriously, was, was this the transit of an alien megastructure? The idea of because the transit wasn't just something that crossed the light of a star, it had you know they they measured gravity and effect mm-hmm. and such and it and it didn't have any of the known um, known properties of a normal transit right, so they couldn't just say, oh is another star crossing it or is a black hole crossing it or something like that um and therefore and that causing the uh, light um to be reduced so <clears throat> You know, there's no real answer to the question, but I think what was fascinating was just the fact that that scientist brought it up. Um, and the only thing that could have caused that kind of transit, though, was something on the scale of a Dyson sphere, something something that big or that large. Um, and if it's transit, that wasn't you know uh, following known gravity rules. So it, and it crossed the star. They're saying, well, maybe it was an independent mm-hmm. transit, something caused under its own power. And then something that large would have been. um Something like a Dyson sphere, so you're talking about an alien type two alien civilization Dyson sphere, um, and this made uh, news. It was on CNN and NBC and Fox and all the rest of the major channels, and uh, was on the newspapers for a few days. Uh, just as a just as a tech geek and an entrepreneur geek, I, I I find this fascinating. One of the things I find fascinating is the Kepler. By the way, is uh, not just run by professional scientists. Uh, they actually they don't have a program to automatically map the stars like this. So
1: they, it's like a citizen science project exactly. where they have people. Yeah,
0: hmm. they, they 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 crowdsource it, nice. um, and it's it's amateur astronomers astronomers agreeing to fill in all this time to help map the stars, and they don't get any reward for it except every now and then there's maybe something like this event, <laughs> um, but it's really. It's, it's, it's kind of exciting. It means, of course, it just talks about more things that we don't know yeah. out there. Sure. But, uh, what, you know, what an amazing thing that just, uh, anim, uh, amateur astrologer
2: astronomers yeah. out there. And, 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 and it I, could it have been the Death Star. It could, it have, could have, have, been, have been. It could have been. It could have been. That's, especially that's with, the new, especially with the new release of the movie. Seriously. Just like, we're right.
1: coming back. <laughs> we're coming down. I mean, it's one of those things with like infinite, you know, uh, um, Realities or whatever, like different dimensions and everything like that. Like honestly, Mike, there's a dimension out there where you already got funding. <laughs> you know, and there's an, there's another one where your your company already failed, and the same with the same with Fresh Farm, you know. So, but but the, the funny thing is, I will have to say is that I, I feel like entrepreneurs or people who are just uh inventors or whatever would read that article, and by the end of the article, they're thinking, okay, what type of business can I make around this? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, because I'm just thinking right now, I'm just like, okay, if you make a good T-shirt with like the, like a shirt, you can. <laughs> easily put that up in a few days,
0: you know, kind of just well, on a t-shirt uh, talking
1: about the Kepler.
0: You know. Well, they're also thinking, how can we determine this? Like, how yeah. can we solve this issue? Which is pretty, which is pretty amazing. I mean, the, the best other theory that scientists have put forward is that it was a clump of comets. It was a group of comets traveling together. Mm-hmm. You know, but then why are they traveling together? Where are they going?
2: It, it was, <laughs> Go see the new Star Wars. <laughs> Go see yeah, exactly. the new Star Wars.
0: But, I mean, so how do we develop more technology that helps us answer these questions when you see something like that to be able to get more information out of it? Yeah, and I've, I've, I mean,
1: obviously everybody, it's always fun to think about alien, you know, races. I love every time a movie comes out around that, I'm definitely there to see it. Um, but a lot of people talk about the kind of like the social impact of us knowing that there's aliens, you know, the religious impact and everything like that. I think we're going about the wrong way. It has to be the business impact. You know What kind of a business <laughs> impact is this going to have on us and what opportunities are there? Because well, if we make it, we privatize this kind of thing. You know, there, <laughs> if, you know what I'm saying? There may be a lot of opportunity in finding out if we, there's aliens. <laughs>
0: Hey, listen. If an alien lands in Connecticut, the first person that's going to be there is Mike Kaufman, yeah. and he's going to be like, "Okay, how do we monetize this?" Well, I you mean, guys if we got him on fitness, a podcast, health, <laughs> wellness.
1: Download my app. <laughs> listen, they're going to be coming here looking for you because they already did. All right, they already
2: did.
1: they're evangelists. Then I'm in.
0: Exactly. Early exactly. adopters.
2: That's right. Fantastic. Yeah. Anyways,
0: interesting topics, interesting times.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, a lot of cool stuff kind of happening in the next couple weeks. You know, we got the Innovation Summit, we got the Impact Awards and, and things. Um, and then, uh, you know, I know we've been liking kind of the new, the new format, um, that's going on. I think we're just going to keep rolling with it. Um, where, you know, this is going to be the 16th uh, episode. So, um, uh, please, if you are listening, let us know, um, if you have any, you know, comments, suggestions, um, any, any, you know, rips on us. Keep it, you know, keep it PJ. But um, just let us know what, what you're thinking about the uh, the podcast and everything. So,
2: another one in the books. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Have a good one. Thank you. Take care. You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com, where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Ruppart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Kevin Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Martha Kalina LLP.